0: Because the information discussed and provided in the accompanying podcast is prepared for a general audience without investigation into the facts of each particular case, it is not legal advice. Tammy Gaw does not have a lawyer client relationship with any listeners. The thoughts and commentary about the law contained on this podcast is provided as a service to the community and does not constitute. Solicitation or provision of legal advice. Misconduct is defined as improper conduct or wrong behavior, with conduct being defined as personal behavior or way of acting. The legal definition is similar stating that misconduct is wrongful, improper, or unlawful conduct motivated by premeditated or intentional purposes or by obstinate indifference to the consequence of one's act. And then, of course, there is gross misconduct. Tammy, do you care to tell us how gross misconduct differs from the definitions that we've just heard?
1: Yeah. Now, trigger warning for anyone who... uh is concerned here. We will be making references to issues of sexual assault, and if that's not something that is healthy for you to hear, please turn this off and uh, take care of yourself with that. Absolutely. So. Within the context of the misconducts, we focused a lot on negligence and the range of legal issues that that encompasses.
0: Mm-hmm. Now,
1: recall that negligence is failing to exercise the care of a reasonably prudent person mm-hmm. in like circumstances.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Here, you see that the definition of misconduct includes words like premeditated and intentional.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That immediately tells us this is a different level of conduct. Okay. So gross misconduct is an even heightened level of behavior. And the and it's the kind of behavior, for instance, that can get you fired for cause when mm-hmm. you hear about things like being fired for cause. okay. If you look at waivers and other legal documents, you can often see provisions that indemnify a party or hold them harmless, mm-hmm. um, it, but not in incidents of gross misconduct. It's mm-hmm. a carve-out. So you might think about things like Uh, being drunk or doing drugs at work, Mm -hmm. um, stealing, or as we're going to discuss today, issues around sexual harassment and sexual assault.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, we're not simply talking about misconduct that might be frowned upon. Uh, We're going beyond just the moral or the es- or the ethical versions of professional conduct. So you know, while bullying and inappropriate language uh, or the way that someone dresses could be discussed as misconduct, what we're going to be covering in this topic is much harsher and more clearly determined cases of wrongdoing. And specifically, we're discussing criminal misconduct um, and especially sexual. So yes, Tammy, as you've already said, uh, if anybody doesn't feel like they are ready to listen to this, please turn this off. Uh, We don't in any way want to trigger anybody, um, but we are going to be kind of getting into the, the depths of this. And to be clear, misconduct requires an action to be taken, as opposed to negligence, which is kind of like the absence of action. And we have purposely kept this topic of misconduct to the end of our first season together, partly because of how heavy of a topic it is to discuss, and also because of how rampant and prevalent it is. When I started brainstorming all of these episodes to do with you, Tammy, that was back in 2017, almost two years ago. And this was a topic that I had written down that I knew that we needed to discuss. This was before Michigan State and Larry Larry Nassar. And it was even before the Me Too movement, or maybe the Me Too movement had just started. And before any of that, when I was conducting this research, I easily had the most references of cases for this topic than any other topic that we have discussed up to this point. And so, you know, until this point, there has not been a topic that we have discussed that, in my opinion, has had such egregious examples or such a prolific amount of cases. I really try not to pick really egregious situations to discuss on this podcast, because I think all professionals know what to do in a very black or white situation. I really try to select cases and discuss these topics from a gray area perspective. And so, you know, while every topic that we have discussed this season has had weight, and if mishandled could lead to awfully poor PR for our profession, um, in my opinion, there is none with as much gravity as this one. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there to me, you know, there are crimes, there are cases of negligence, and there are areas of our profession that are gray. This is not one of them. Nope. Yeah. This area of misconduct is not only a professional breach of professionalism, it's a social and cultural known violation of trust. And all the proficiencies in the world, all the emerging settings to be known, none of it will matter if our profession does not protect itself and our patients from predators. The nature of the work that we do permits us to develop trusting relationships with our patients and requires us to treat them in very sensitive areas. And so anybody or any situation that is taking advantage of this in any way or capacity will forever damage and stain our profession. There will be no amount of positive press that could undo the trauma of a situation like the ones that we're talking about today. And I think everybody, If you think about the Michigan State case, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In an area or a situation where the trust is violated by a predator, it is incredibly difficult to ask an organization to trust another professional. And no one would blame them or push them to consider another athletic trainer. It's easy to say that it won't happen again, or that that was a one-off situation, or that it was a fluke, or that that athletic trainer was a bad apple. But telling that to a survivor of trauma or sexual assault is not only inappropriate, but it's insensitive. So regardless of the demographic of that population, you can bet that they're going to need time to recover and will likely have a complete overhaul of procedures to ensure that whatever might have happened won't happen again. Tammy, I'm sure you have something to say about this.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I, I simply cannot agree more. Mm -hmm. There is absolutely no more egregious violation that one can inflict upon a young person than that of sexual abuse.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: There has been some absolutely vile discussion in the public sphere lately about whether victims were, quote, asking for it or the excuse that boys will be boys or he couldn't help it and other absolutely, completely categorically unacceptable justifications for the abuse of anyone, but especially with young people. Mm -hmm. And we as a profession should be working tirelessly to rid our ranks of anyone who does not Comport with the basic guidelines of appropriate interaction with a child to
0: purge our ranks
1: mm-hmm. of anyone who does not comport with
0: that. Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, well, before we start yeah. looking at a few cases, deep breath there. Um, Tammy and I are passionate about this, if you can't tell. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we start looking at a few cases, I want to emphasize the fact that. I had more than a dozen cases that I could have chosen from. And that's just from the last 10 years. I didn't have nearly this amount of examples for any other topic that we've discussed or covered on this season so far. I do want to say we will not be discussing the Michigan State or the Larry Nassar case here. Instead, I have chosen cases that weren't as mainstream but still just as egregious or just as hurtful or damning. So in this first case, the athletic trainer is accused of providing alcohol to and partying with high school students. He had been employed by the county in Florida for four years when video emerged from a spring break party that showed the athletic trainer laughing, joking, and wrestling with students. Once the students were interviewed, it was determined that the athletic trainer had also purchased them alcohol in a stop on the way to the party. When the athletic trainer was questioned, he claimed that a student had called him saying they were, quote, intoxicated, extremely tired, and needed a ride home. So he showed up and allegedly was only there for 15 or 20 minutes. The athletic trainer was removed from his position in working with children at the school, but was reassigned within the district. Interestingly, I looked him up on the BOC and he's still certified. Tammy, I'm sure that we can think of several reasons why this athletic trainer had no business being called by a high school student or showing up to give them a ride home. But what are your thoughts on the facts of this case? We don't know if he was found guilty but is video evidence of him being at a party, horsing around with minors, enough evidence to lose a certification for someone?
1: Listen, listen, listen. <laughs> hear hear me, hear this, listen to me. The effort that it is taking for me not to answer this with so much <laughs> snark is overwhelming. There are about 19 things that this guy did wrong. Yeah. First of all, we are living in a time of video. That is a fact. Mm-hmm. There, there is a court of law and there is a court of public opinion. Mm.
0: In, <laughs>
1: yeah, they're, they are both, <laughs> they're both courts. Indeed. <laughs> and in law, there's a principle that we learn in law school that's used to prove negligence mm-hmm. that's called res ipsa loquitur. Okay. And it's Latin for the thing speaks for itself. Uh, yes. Okay. And so it's, you know, it's sort of, it's in a it's not anything that we would talk about necessarily here, but it's in a strict liability where it really doesn't matter. If this happened, clearly that failed. Right. So showing up on a video at a party where high schoolers are drinking shows that you objectively make bad decisions. Yeah. <laughs> and in my opinion and experience, that should have been a fireable offense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, now, I've been the designated driver many times. Mm-hmm. That is not the point. hmm That is not the point. There are so many things that you can do when faced with this issue. Mm -hmm. You can take keys. You can let the air out of tires. You can help people pull spark plugs from cars. Mm. I'm not saying I've done that, but yes, I have. (laughs) Twice. You know what you don't do? You don't show up at a high school party and hang out with underage drinkers.
0: Touche. Yep.
1: Yep. I I have no idea what was going on in this guy's head, Mm -hmm. that he allowed the lines there to be so blurred that he thought this was a good idea, but there is absolutely categorically no justification for it. Right. And I'm also concerned that the school district chose to reassign him. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I think that, I think that shows, um, I think that shows bad judgment on the part of the administration. Right. uh, That, that decided to take that, decided to take that route. Mm -hmm. Now, as for a certification, I don't know based on the facts of this case and the fact that it wasn't formally adjudicated that the NATA should yank his certification. Mm-hmm. I, I have my own opinions about it. Sure. Um, but I think that objectively, there is a case for requiring additional ethics classes and CEUs in a case like this. Right. Um, you know, I'm on record stating, and you and I have talked plenty, mm-hmm. that there should already be ethics requirements. For our reporting, mm-hmm. so my position there should surprise no
0: one. <laughs> <Right>.
1: <laughs> but let's just play this out to a potentially tragic end. Mm-hmm. So what if one of those kids had gotten in an accident and killed themselves or someone else? Yeah. What if one of them died of alcohol poisoning?
0: Mm-hmm. What
1: if an intoxicated kid was assaulted and you were there? Is it mm-hmm. worth your entire career to somehow think that you get cool points from hanging around drinking teenagers? hmm so the basic takeaway, contributing to the delinquency of minor of a minor is a real thing. Mm. Contributory negligence is a thing. Oh wow. You are you are not removed from that capability. Those are real things that can really get you thrown in jail.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that on the surface, there are probably athletic trainers that could come up with reasons in their mind as to why their high school students would have their phone number or why they would be called upon in a situation like this. Uh, And I just think that it's important to zoom out and to remind people that regardless of how platonic a situation might feel or how innocent a situation might seem, Contributing, you know, to your point, Tammy, contributing to uh, the delinquency of a minor or contributory negligence can put your career at risk. So regardless of how well-intentioned your motives might be, it's not worth it. No,
1: it is absolutely not.
0: So this next case that we're going to look at actually mirrors uh, the Larry uh, Nasser case in many ways, and in, this, in the sense that the athletic trainer used his position and trust within the community to take advantage of a student. Donald Nelson Bills was a teacher and athletic trainer in Provo, Utah for decades after pleading guilty to five felony counts, which were forcible sodomy, object rape, forcible sexual abuse, obstructing justice, and tampering with a witness. He had 10 other counts against him dismissed as a result of his plea deal. The athletic trainer's victim was a 17-year-old girl who testified that he used his religious affiliations to dismiss her fears and made threats of humiliation to keep her quiet. Bills had used his position within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to win the girls' trust. The article claims that Bills was a favorite teacher who taught thousands of teens, inspiring many to go into athletic training. He had earned a number of awards and recognitions for his work at Provo High School. Quote, it was that glowing reputation that led the girls' parents to trust him even though they spent more and more time together. When the disturbing texts were discovered on the teen's phone, it was revealed that the relationship that had started with an injury and her being a student in his class had escalated to her working as a student in the athletic training room and eventually became sexual. The sexual relationship lasted several months and was carried out almost exclusively at the school. Tammy can you see the correlations here and how Larry Nassar used his respected authority in the community to get away with his crimes and how this athletic trainer did the same?
1: I absolutely can. And I want to be, you know, I want to draw attention to what you said. This guy operated for decades before he pled guilty to these counts. Mm-hmm. He was, there's no telling how many victims he had. And, you know, the police, there there is a freaking name for this. The mm-hmm. police call it, it's called grooming. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is how young people, a lot of people, really, it doesn't Mm -hmm. even have to necessarily be minors. It can happen to, to women and men of all ages. Um, you know, it's how they get, it's how it leads to trafficking. If you talk about the, you know, trafficking task force, um, you know, I am friends with a guy who used to be head of a human trafficking task Mm. force. And when he walked into high schools and told parents what to look for, you know, they kind of nodded and played along. Mm. Um, but I was at a meeting that he did at a pretty affluent high school outside of D.C. once. Mm-hmm. And when he said that he had three cases of grooming in that high school in the last year alone, uh, the air was sucked out of the room wow. with the communal gas because yeah. these parents thought it couldn't happen to their kids. It could never happen,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Um So, you know, in, in May... Uh, I was at the Sports Lawyers Association mm-hmm. and one of the panels was on athlete abuse. Oh. And two of the panelists were Sarah Klein and Rachel Den Hollander yeah. who are two of the sister survivors who brought down Larry Nash. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um they were on the panel and they laid out specifically and graphically mm-hmm. what was done to them. And how they were convinced that they shouldn't say anything mm-hmm. because he was a doctor. Everyone else trusted him. They must feel wrong for feeling the way that they did about what was done yeah. to them. They yeah. shouldn't complain. Yeah. And that room was filled with mostly men. <laughs> and it was so telling to watch them be so uncomfortable hearing this straight from victims' mouths.
0: Yeah.
1: That, uh, I mean, that, I is, that with, is
0: traditional uh, like grooming behavior. All of that it is. It absolutely mm-hmm. is. I mean, yeah.
1: there were people in the room when some of this was happening. Mm-hmm. It, is, it, it is enough it's to just make you want to hit a wall. <laughs> and yeah. It yeah. is wretched. Um, and I, I even talked with some of the guys, mm-hmm. you know, for, after this for the rest of the weekend. And there were a few that could not even articulate their thoughts. They were so disturbed yeah. and they'd read the newspaper. It's not mm-hmm. like they didn't know. Right. They right. weren't, they weren't ignorant about what had happened. Sure. But when you are looking in the eyeballs of someone who is smart, who yeah. is articulate, yeah. not that it matters, right. you, there's no intelligence level or, or sure. you know, ability of erudite that, that could in any way justify this. Yeah. But, you know, they just could not get their They couldn't get their heads around having yeah. heard that firsthand. Yeah. And, while there are certainly female abusers mm-hmm. please let's not you know let's not get in that yeah and we'll cover uh, one.
0: this 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 this, yes. this entire episode and in, in this topic is not just about male abusers so do not right. worry <laughs> yeah right but we also can't
1: ignore that men in power have been doing this for centuries mm-hmm. and you know at the time of recording the Jeffrey Epstein case is in the news It is right after he was found dead in his cell. We're Mm -hmm. recording this. And when you hear the long list of people who knew what he was doing and covered it up or took advantage of it or joined in in order to keep him in a position of power, Mm -hmm. it makes you literally nauseous.
0: Yeah. You know, the the one thing I want to mention here is that oftentimes the abusers are somebody that we know, somebody that we already Mm -hmm. have a trusting relationship with. And so... Um, I think, you know, kind of to your point about the men in the room who had read the newspapers and had seen all of this, when you're reading it in black and white text, it's easy in our minds as an outsider to say, obviously, this was inappropriate, like, how could you let this keep going? How could this continue to uh, happen? Um, because as an outsider, those are obvious red flags and warnings for you. But because of the way that these people infiltrate circles of trust and because of the ways that they sometimes very slowly are manipulating children or just others, it's it's easy to convince the mind that what's happening is fine. And it's only hindsight or it's only an outsider that's looking at it that says, whoa, 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 you know, this is sexual misconduct. Yeah.
1: Well, and, you know, you you bring up, you know, a good point that circles around back to Bill's as well, Mm -hmm. that, you know, he used his position of power with these young people. Mm -hmm. When I talked about the grooming situation earlier, Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's as simple as these people will get young women or, you know, young girls mm-hmm, or boys mm-hmm. to send sexually explicit pictures. And then they just blackmail them.
0: Oh, so yeah. like well, I'll yeah, release, I'll point. release
1: this if you don't do fill in the blank. Right. And so it's like they, you know, they work it and work it. And as soon as they cross that line, they feel like I've got their hands in these kids. And if you are someone for whom religion and yeah. standards within that religion are, so important and so vital. And they're part of your community like that. Mm -hmm. He absolutely was, you know, blackmailing these, blackmailing
0: these kids. Yeah. I didn't mention it in here, but when I was reading the articles about it, that is exactly what happened. Sexual acts were occurring. Uh, He he was telling the victims that it was a part of their ability to get closer to God. Um, Uh And then If they were ever to tell somebody, then they would be seen as somehow, um, you know, not as religious or not as holy or, you know, whatever it is, um, because those acts were not supposed to be done with someone outside of your spouse. So, yeah, it's twisted in so many ways. (laughs) It is. But that's, you know, when you when you bring it from something
1: like the, you know, the Epstein social mm-hmm. elite level mm-hmm. to the sports world, yeah. you know, you are talking about fundamentally the same thing, though, yeah. coercion and abuse of underage children that is allowed to go on because someone is, quote, respected yeah. in their community. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's far too in depth to go into it here. Yeah. But, um you know, I think of the issue at um, Baylor yeah. where high ranking officials were found to have covered up covered up a pattern of sexual abuse at the school.
0: Even Penn and, State too. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Well, and <laughs> Penn State, you know, one can say at least Jerry Sandusky uh, received some kind of punishment. Yeah. Uh, one of the Baylor coaches was just hired at a high school in North Texas. Ooh. The athletic director is now the athletic director at, at Liberty University. Oh, um, okay. And the uh, guy who oversaw the investigation is a gentleman by the name of Kenneth Starr. So, oh, boy. <laughs> right. Wow. So okay. if, if you are interested in learning more about that, um, I encourage you to look up Jessica Luther's work um, on the case uh, because she very much did. She sent some amazing reporting and uh, awesome. is really good at reporting around issues of sexual abuse. She's mm-hmm. just very, very good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those skill sets you really wish you didn't have to have, but um right. she's done years worth of years worth of work on that um so yeah, uh, there's a high school in um in North Texas, and art Riles will be working there hmm. and when the athletic director and the people that hired him uh said when they were asked if they thought it was appropriate, uh they responded that they thought that he could help them win, and <sighs> they didn't see a problem with it wow. so Yeah. So when, you know, members of the community rose up and uh, protested against it and they were they were ignored. So what sort of example uh, is that setting for the boys on that football team when they're shown that it doesn't matter what kind of abuse you perpetuate, how many lives you leave shattered in your wake as long as you win? uh, That's all we care about. What does it show the girls at that school? Mm -hmm. I mean, that is they're they're seen as, you know, extraneous to that. Disposable. Um, yeah yeah. so mm-hmm. it's it's pathetic and it's cowardly and i hope the mount vernon football team doesn't win a single game while art briles is on that staff <laughs> okay. um i just i've got no time for it yeah um and you know when you look at it the state of michigan is working on changing the statute of limitations for reporting childhood sexual abuse mm-hmm. which is not necessarily as pertinent to the case of bills mm-hmm. um but when you talk about people in the Uh, positions of power, uh, it should come as a surprise to absolutely no one that one of the biggest opponents to Michigan changing the statute of limitations for reporting childhood sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. um, one of the biggest opponents is the Catholic Church. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they're filing briefs to try and, yeah, it it is horrific.
0: Wow. It is horrific. So, yeah, this is
1: a problem.
0: Oh my Full gosh. Stop. I had no idea. That's yep. has got to process that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Um, well, <laughs> let's, let's shift our focus to another case. And we are going to be looking at, um, the abuse now by a woman. Uh, and I, I wanted to make sure that we included one of these because, we're not here to uh, just point fingers at anyone specifically. We do know that history shows us that it is majorly men, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be paying attention to what women are or are not doing as well. And they can be found guilty of misconduct the same way that a a male can. So in this situation, an athletic trainer in North Carolina was accused of sexual activity with a student. The athletic trainer's relationship with the 16 to 17 year old student began after the student sustained an injury, but the relationship developed into a sexual one. The teen had spent the night at the athletic trainer's house about five to 10 times and nude photo exchanges were found in their text messages. The relationship was revealed because the athletic trainer approached the mother of the student asking for their relationship to continue. The mother responded with how inappropriate the relationship was and reported it to the authorities. She was charged with two counts of child seduction, one count as a child care worker in sexual intercourse or sexual conduct with a child, and one count as a child care worker engaging in fondling or touching a child. In situations like this, I think that perhaps the athletic trainer forgets that their students are children by law, and even though they may seem old enough to make decisions for themselves or mature enough to be engaging in activity, they are still children. Tammy, I'm sure that you'll agree with me that it's more important to remember even when the activity is consensual, it's still misconduct.
1: Absolutely. And the key thing to remember here is that consensual sex, even, might not just be misconduct. It could also be a felony. Mm. You know, I. It's not directly linked to the res ipsa loquitur that I mentioned earlier about the thing speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. But statutory rape does not require forced That's or true. non-consensual activity. Mm-hmm the law has determined that sex with boys and girls of a certain age is considered statutorily mm-hmm. illegal, regardless of consent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, that age is different in different states. I'm thinking of certain states in the South that have very low ages of consent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it is, I'm not kidding, because older men want, who want child brides yeah. lobbied against raising the age of consent. <laughs> but that is a fact. So there are different, you know, there are differing standards, if you will, by state and Mm -hmm. also uh, rules around if the interaction is between two minors Mm -hmm. versus if it's with a minor and an adult. So let's look at the North Carolina case. Um, And again, we're putting the trigger warning out here. Mm -hmm. Let's on a side note, I think let's take a moment to look at the language that we use when talking about these kinds of cases. Yeah. Um, you know, I mentioned the Jeffrey Epstein case mm-hmm. in um, you know earlier, and you can find headlines that say Epstein procured sexual favors from girls as young as 14 and things in that vein. Let me yeah. be perfectly clear: that is child rape. Yeah. That is not procuring sexual favors. That yeah. is child rape. You do not procure anything sexual from a 14-year-old girl or boy, full stop, go directly to jail.
0: He actually, uh, for any of the listeners listeners who are not familiar, he originally pled guilty to a count that was reduced down to solicitation of prostitution, um, which is not in any way indicative of what he actually was doing. But it also infers that 14-year-old girls— were brought in to do sexual favors, but inferring that they were prostitutes as well. So, yes, yeah,
1: so yeah, if we can't even be honest about the language we use to describe these heinous acts, mm-hmm. we have a serious problem. Mm-hmm. And likewise, we sometimes see a difference in how women who prey on young boys are treated versus men who That's prey true. on young girls. Yeah, for male victims. It's often talked in a, about in a more jovial way, almost congratulatory hmm. um, but a woman grooming a young boy for sexual favors is no more acceptable than a man grooming a young girl and
0: yeah. of course
1: we talk about this in terms you know in a very binary sexual way right. but when you start talking about the issues and the you know sometimes the shame and the and the exploitation around kids in the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. then you're talking, I mean, you're talking about an entirely more expansive agreed, uh, possibility. Much more vulnerable,
0: youth. much more. Yeah, yeah
1: absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, I have to say, I'm more than a bit fascinated at the athletic trainer's shall we say nerve to approach a mother
0: yeah. and ask for permission. Like Yeah, that was an professor? interesting aspect of the article that I did not see coming.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was that that was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um but there is no reason for a grown human of any gender or identity to pursue a relationship with someone who is underage or in any way under their care or supervision. You know, mm-hmm. I bring back I I point to the the things that she was charged with. Yeah, um, you know, a child care worker mm-hmm. engaging in fondling or touching, a right. child care worker in sexual conduct with a child.
0: Which, so, yeah, which is exactly what an athletic trainer is. And again, exactly. I just I don't think that we recognize that about ourselves sometimes.
1: Yes. Well, we should. Yes. <laughs> we should for a variety of reasons. Right. If you don't
0: realize that now and you're listening to this,
1: let this be notification. You are a child care worker. Yeah. Um, so I would hope that in the case of guilty adjudication in any way like that for uh, reasons of sexual abuse or exploitation, that the BOC would permanently yank the certification of the athletic trainer. I would certainly hope that at a minimum that happened.
0: Right. I mean, I, I've got to imagine that with uh, the guilty plea or actually being charged with those right. counts, it would be. Uh, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but it's really not clear on the BOC um, what defines being yanked for your credential or not. They they are not in any way clear about that, uh, which I think partly is part of the problem or it, it is very problematic. Um, and one of the areas that I want to be sure to mention, but I just couldn't find documented cases that were like substantive enough, was this discussion around emotional and psychological abuse as well. I think that we see this as a thread in many of the stories that we read about. The Maryland case is the one that's coming to mind, um, but also the overall environment that sport is taking place in. And so, you know, as we're understanding the climate of things and how it relates to bullying and aggression or subscribing to social norms, all of that weighs into the work that the athletic trainer must do. And Tammy, I know that we've talked about this in more detail, specifically in the Maryland case episode, but what role do you feel that emotional and psychological abuse plays in kind of this overall discussion of misconduct in the athletic trainer?
1: Well, I'm glad that you and I have time to dig into things like this on these episodes because, mm-hmm. you know, we all know that an athletic trainer should be someone in whom athletes can trust and confide. Yeah, We know that. But with that comes the need for boundaries. Mm-hmm. And people who are feeling particularly vulnerable can often attribute even innocent, kind actions and behaviors as something more. Yeah. So it's on the athletic trainer to take actions to protect themselves.
0: Yeah, that's Um, a really
1: good point. You know, like with so many of the other things we talk about, I recommend talking to the HR department of your school or institution Mm -hmm. and see what their rules are for teachers, professors, administrators, clinicians. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Right. These, These industries have rules and regulations around that. Yeah. Oftentimes there's already um,
0: processes, the process exactly. in place. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. So, you know, if an athlete needs to talk to you, have someone else in the room mm-hmm. or, you know, never meet one-on-one behind closed doors and windows, mm-hmm. make very sure that you know what the mandatory reporting requirements are in your state. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if an athlete comes to you with a story of abuse, don't make promises to that athlete that you can't keep. Oh, that's a really good point. You know, it may be possible for you to learn something and maintain anonymity, Mm -hmm. but the current U.S. Department of Education is really pushing to make reporting things like Title IX violations Mm -hmm. and sexual assault as difficult on the reporter as possible.
0: Oh, wow. That's interesting. They are.
1: Yes, they are actively, they're actively moving in the wrong direction um, under their current management. Interesting. Um, Okay. So don't feel like you have to bear the burden all on your own, right? but don't promise confidentiality if you can't follow through.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I want to make a point about that really quick. Um, And we will talk about mandated reporting in the second half of this. Um, But something to know about mandating reporting is that when you make a report, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're Saying that someone is guilty of something, it really just means that you've become aware of knowledge that you are required to then report so kind of to your point, tammy, um we don't have to become investigative journalists in order exactly. in order to figure out whether this should be reported or not. That is why c p s and other institutions and and systems are in place so that we don't have to go determine. If what the kid is telling us is the truth or not. And oftentimes, uh, I may have said this in previous episodes, but I tell this to coaches all the time. It's not my job to determine whether the kid is lying. Uh, and that's in relation to an injury, to being concussed, to having heat illness. If they're telling me they feel a certain way, I have to act based on what they're telling me, not whether I believe if they're telling the truth or not.
1: Exactly. That's, that's absolutely on point. hmm you know, and there there are more and more stories and reports coming out about psychological abuse mm-hmm. at the hands of coaches. Um yeah. You know, just this past week there was a not really viral, but a you know a, a circulated story about a kid who was retiring from sports at the age of eleven because he thought mm. that the pressure was too much. You know, and you're going, okay, this this seems like we've gotten away from what wow. should be wow from yeah from yeah. where we should be going with this, but you know, like. Everything else that we've talked about, protecting yourself on the front end mm-hmm. and making sure you have all or as many of your ducks in a row will put you in a much better position on the back end to defend yourself should anything come up alleging misconduct or abuse. Absolutely. Um, you know, documentation is definitely recommended mm-hmm. because you may not remember cases down the line. Um, but... Also, and this goes with so many of the things we've had, be up to speed on rules and regulations in your state regarding copies of that documentation, hmm. because many times keeping a copy of a- athlete's notes that would constitute medical records could be a privacy violation. Oh, that's a really but, good point. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't necessarily just copy athletes' medical records mm-hmm. and keep them in your home right, office by right. <laughs> chance that something happens. Like, yeah. that's not what we are in any way recommending that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but- you know, having your own personal contemporaneous notes of having observed something firsthand can be helpful, mm-hmm. particularly if you're no longer at the institution or the organization where you witnessed the behavior. Right. And as you said, be aware of what mandatory reporting requirements are in your state. Mm-hmm. You you may not want to report something that you've seen, but by failing to report it, you could make yourself a target
0: of mm. prosecution
1: down the line.
0: That's a good point. I mean, there
1: are a lot of people falling as a result of ignoring and enabling Larry Nasser for decades. And yeah. the same kind of things happened at Penn State. Yep. So yep. Um, and this is just another time where I wish there was an ethics hotline through the NATA, like the ones that lawyers have through individual state bars. Yeah. <laughs> I wish it would happen. I don't understand why it doesn't. I remain confused.
0: Let's keep beating that drum and hoping that somebody of high enough stature hears us and says, well, that's a really good idea. We should do that. (laughs) Um, The other point I want to make in relation to what you said with when you're working at a school and a lot of times they already have processes in place is I think that as a profession, we take a lot of pride When athletes come to us with things that feel private and we like to know that we have a level of trust with our athletes or we like feeling needed and in a lot of ways we end up crossing that line of professionalism by saying, yeah, come on in my office, let's close the door and talk about it. Uh, Not only do we put ourselves in very difficult positions when that happens, but to your point, we're also circumventing potentially uh, resources on campus that are actually trained to deal with what that athlete might be coming to us with. I'm thinking about school nurses, school counselors, uh, things along those lines. And it's just a reminder, I think, to our, our audience that Regardless of the level of relationship that you think you might have with your athlete, um, and not to say that you shouldn't be a confidant for them, but just a reminder that we don't have to be all things to everyone. That if there are more appropriate resources on campus, don't be egotistical, don't be selfish, don't be nosy, Uh, refer them to the appropriate person from the jump. Don't get involved unnecessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening. You are now eligible to earn your free Category A CEU by logging on to theadvantage.com/ceu and taking the quiz. If you're enjoying listening or know a colleague looking for free CEUs, please share our link and don't forget to like us on social media at theadvantage. Thank you to Mr. Logistics for the music you've heard throughout.